Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll just read verses 19, 20, and 21. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we who are saved have been washed in the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So, Father, this morning we pray that you would now settle us in your presence, settle our hearts, and help us to be able to receive your own engrafted word, which is able to save the soul. Lord, build up your church. Encourage your people. Strengthen them who are weak. And Lord, if there's one who is lost, will you call them and will you draw them? Would you save them, Father? One who is wayward, Lord, would you draw them back to Christ? We love you and we worship you. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. And for his glory and name's sake we pray. Amen. Simply entitling this again, the inspired Hebrew writer, part two. And last week we looked at how the book of Hebrews was written because of those who were called out from Judaism called out uh, to Christ by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. And they had left the temple religion, left the temple worship, and all of its trappings, regalia, and ritual. And there they were to follow Christ and put their whole faith and trust in him alone. And hence the Hebrew writer writes this because under persecution of the Jews, under persecution of the Judaizers, they're now thinking, should we go back to make life easier? And hence the writer, possibly Paul, writes to say, this is the reason why you should not go back to Judaism, because Judaism and true biblical Christianity are at a juxtaposition one against the other. They do not in any means, ways, or methods complement one another. Hence, the whole book of Hebrews was written to tell these people that everything is for the glory of Christ and in Christ alone. Notice here, the writer says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He sets out in our reading by saying, in this verse, by saying it's only by the blood of Jesus 
not by the blood of lambs or goats or heifers or turtle doves or pigeons or by any other means or method, but only by the blood of Jesus. And remember, we looked last week, he takes the eyes off the hearer, off the temple at Jerusalem. He takes their eyes from earthly things, from the priesthood in Jerusalem, from the sacrifice in the temple of Jeru- in Jerusalem, and he fixes them all on the sacrifice, on the priesthood, and on heaven of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hence he's saying, when Christ died, he is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, your sin and mine, and he's the last Lamb, the last sacrifice for sinners. Hence we wonder why some would strive so much to want to see a temple rebuilt again. Christ is the fulfillment and Christ is the finishing of it. Glenn read it again around the table this morning. Now notice here, if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, please, his sacrifice is one sacrifice forever. Hebrews 10, please, and verse 8. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, notice thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein. God has no pleasure in it anymore. No pleasure in a lamb being slain or a bull being killed and offered. Which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Taking away the first, as it were, covenant or testament that he may establish the new covenant. And then he says, verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once. And if you're, you notice there in your uh, King James Bible, for all is in italics, meaning it isn't in the original text. It's there for the flow of our English language. But the Hebrew writer says, the inspired writer from the Holy Spirit says, Jesus' body was offered once. And that's it. Sacrifice finished. Sacrifices are over. Jesus' body was offered once for all. Then notice in verse 11, he takes them to the priesthood in the temple and every priest standing daily ministering and oft times, offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. I wonder why Christians don't read these words. The offering of an unbloodied mass doesn't take away your sins. Only the offering once of Christ takes away sin. The temple in Jerusalem wouldn't take away sin. The offerings couldn't take away sin. And then when we look at the next verse, verse 12, but this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, 
Notice that. Forever. Would you say forever? forever. Say it louder, please. Forever. One sacrifice for sins forever. In other words, the temple sacrifices were null and void and finished. And also, he isn't going to be re-crucified every time in a mass. It's done. Glenn read the scriptures this morning. Paid in full. Christ has paid your debt and Christ has paid my debt in full. And then when we go on, verse 13, pardon me, the end of verse 12, and sat down on the right hand of God. Notice, Christ has sat down on the right hand of God. And when you sit down, it, it means you're finished. You've finished the work you stood up to do. you finished the work you stood up to accomplish. And since Christ has done it, now at the right hand of God, he sat down. It's done. It's finished. Anything else than the blood of Christ, anything else than the cross work of Christ, anything else, whether it's temple, future temple, or something in church, what Anglican or Roman Catholic or anyone else does, to add onto the work of Christ is an abomination unto the blood of Christ. And hence, we see here, he says he's done it and it's finished, full stop. One more verse, please. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And this gives the idea that those who rejected Christ and would not have him to rule over them, and he's thinking here of the Romans who crucified him, but really of those Pharisees who called out for his blood. Till his enemies are made his footstool. Until the Christ rejecter has made his footstool. We can see in our day and age where we live, the time we're living in, when Christ returns. When Christ returns, he will make all of these enemies, all of these so-called, what we name them as elitists, enslavers of the people through that usury, he will make them his footstool. My brothers and sisters, when we see these, surely it encourages us as the believer. One more verse. I know I said one there, but one more. Verse 14. For by one offering. Take note, one offering. Would you say one offering? offering. Do you know why I get you to say this sometimes? Because I want you to catch it. Sometimes you read it, you think it, and it doesn't go in. But when you say it, One offering, one offering, just one. And that's the offering of himself. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And so the Lord Jesus 
one sacrifice forever, one offering forever, through his own body, he offered himself and he's now resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, glorified, seated at the right hand of God. And the work is done. Notice here, the Lord now goes into what we would call the high priestly ministry. I know this is more teaching this morning than applying certain things to encourage you. But let me say, see when I learn things from the word of God, that's what encourages me more than anything else. Whenever I realize in all of my failures, whenever I have a great high priest in the heaven who's praying for me, that's what encourages me. That's where my strength lies, knowing that Christ encourages me because he's standing at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest. So he's the sacrifice and he's also the great high priest. So notice here in verse 19 of chapter 10. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. Not a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. Not even a priest after. Remember, the priest had to be from the tribe of Levi in the Old Testament. The priest had to be from the household of Aaron. But Christ is neither. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's from the house of David. Now, when you get time, you go at home. We're having time this morning. You read Genesis 14, and you'll read of Melchizedek who comes to Abraham. And there's a priesthood, a precedence there for a different priesthood in Jerusalem. And so Christ takes on that office of the Melchizedek priesthood. Just let yourself flick back to chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews, please. So while you're looking, remember, Aaron was to wear the right garments. From the tribe of Levi, the house of Aaron, then Aaron and his sons, that lineage, were the high priests. They could only go into the Holy of Holies, or the holy place, once a year with blood. He alone, once a year. Then when Aaron dies, his son, and so on, alone once a year. And we read the scriptures for that last week, if you remember. Now look at chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men to the things pertaining, in the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason thereof, he ought, as for the people, notice, so also for himself to offer for sins. The high priest Aaron and his lineage of sons, grandsons, and so on, They had on the white linen garment, you remember? 
speaking of the future righteousness of Christ, which he gives to those who are saved. But the high priest had to take a red heifer, if you remember, and he slew the heifer. We looked at all of these in the Old Testament last week, having time to go into them, I'm afraid. But he slew the heifer, and he had to go in and offer that for his own sin. The high priest, for his own sin first. Then he took two goats, and he brings the goats, and one is allotted for the Lord, so it's slain, and its blood is shed. And that blood is brought into the tabernacle, then the temple when it was built, and it's sprinkled. It's sprinkled before, as he's walking toward the Ark of the Covenant, or he's sprinkling the blood. And he takes the live goat and he lays hands on it. And it means it's the sins of Israel were on this live goat. Then what they call a strong man would take it, walk it outside the city, maybe up one of the hills and release it. Given the idea that our sins are taken away. Our sins are gone from us. So, here in chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews, And in verse 3 it says that the high priest so also for himself to offer for sins. The difference in Christ is he's not in the Aaronic priesthood, but in the Melchizedek priesthood. And the difference here with Christ is also that he didn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sin, for he was sinless. He did no sin. He knew no sin. He was yet without sin. He was perfect. He never failed in mind or word or deed or action or thought once. Not once did Christ feel. 24-7, every single moment or day of his life, he was perfect. And hence his perfection, because you and I couldn't be perfect You and I fail all the time, break God's law all the time. We fail all the time in our own minds and our own ways. He kept it for us, the law we couldn't keep, and he lived the life we couldn't live. And there, he's righteous before his father. And as a a priest, he, he, he could enter into the holy place in heaven because he's without sin. That's what it takes for you and I to be able to enter God's heaven. That's why you and I can't get there. That's why you and I are unworthy to be there, because we have sinned and we break the law of God. But Christ kept the law for us. Christ paid our debt of sin for us. And he is a high priest who has now entered into the heavens, the holy of holies in heaven. But he didn't have to offer any sacrifice for his own sins. But the sacrifice which he made on Calvary's tree was for you and was for me. And hence, when the Father looks at me, when our Heavenly Father looks at you and me, who are in Christ, he sees us righteous. That's why you can enter God's heaven. That's why you can come and pray directly, as it were, to the throne of grace. The heavens are open to us. 
because of all that Christ has done and all that he alone has accomplished for us. And so, in verse 4 it says, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that saith unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now take note, verse 6, As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he is not in the Aaronic priesthood, but in the Melchizedek priesthood class. Now when you go into verse 7, it talks of Jesus crying in his flesh. I, I taught on this not so long ago, but just briefly while we're here, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying, and tears unto him, that is unto his father, that was able to save him from death, and that, and was heard, and that he feared. Notice, some people think that Jesus was saying, save me from dying in Gethsemane. Father, I've come this far, I don't want to go any further. That's what they try and put from this verse. That's not what this verse means. Stay focused for one wee minute, and I'm going to show you exactly what it means before we go on. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, his father, that was able to save him from death, from is the word, uh, there's two words mainly used for the word from, F-R-O-M. One is apo, and one is ach. So if Actually, mentioned, used Paul the last time in my illustration. I'll use you again, Paul. So I phone Paul up and I say, Paul, will you be at church this week? Yes, I'm coming. And Paul drives in. And he walks up here and he gets to the doors. And he maybe even just jukes in from the door, has a look around and turns around, goes away, gets in his car and goes home. And I phone him and I say, Paul, thought you were coming to church. He, he can say, I did. I came. That would be the word apo. F- from, away from church. He went from. From, apo, from the edge off it means. But if I said, Paul, will you come to church? Are you coming on Sunday morning? He says, yes. Comes in, parks the car, walks up walks around, sits here with he and Wendy and the children as they are, singing the songs and breaking bread this morning, sitting under the word. We round the meeting up and Paul goes on, gets the family and they all go home. That would be the word ach. Ach. And it means out from within. Out from within. And the word here, from death. He was crying to his father, who you could save him from death is the word ek. Out from within death it means. Not just he swooned or he fainted. Not just he would come to a certain point when they would take him from the cross and the father would say that's enough. He came and he bled and he died. He went right into the grave. He went right into the realms of death. And he knew as a man that the father would raise him up the third day. He's praying, Ek, you will bring me out, father, from the midst of death. 
from the middle, from the center, out from within death. That's what he's praying. So the Lord Jesus came to die. He didn't pray that he wouldn't die and the Father would rescue him. So here the great sacrifice is once and for all. His priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. And now we have a man in the glory who's praying for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in our reading in verse 21, it says we have a high priest over the house of God. So the Lord Jesus, as it were, stands as the high priest would have stood in the temple. But he stands in the glory. And so the the inspired Hebrew writer is saying, listen, all of this stuff is done away with. All of this stuff is over and done. There's a greater glory found in Christ. A greater sacrifice. The book of Hebrews, I told you last week, is about Jesus is greater. Greater than the angels. Greater than Moses. Greater than Aaron. Greater than Joshua. Greater than the high priest and their office. Greater than the sacrifice. That's what the book of Hebrews is for. Greater than the temple. Everything about Christ is greater. And so we have someone, a man in the glory, who's praying for us. Do you know when your brother or sister forgets to pray for you? Or even the pastor and the elders haven't prayed for you? Do you know, Christian, there's a man in the glory praying for you? He shall not fail, neither will he be discouraged, says the Scriptures. There he stands at all times. Now take note of this. Since we have a man, a priest over the house of God, who is in the heavens praying for us, listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator. Now take note of this. There's one sacrifice forever. One offering forever. To one God, now there's one man, one mediator. Listen to what he says. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. One mediator, not many. I don't mean to offend or hurt people, but listen. Your Auntie Aggie isn't up there looking after you, watching over you here. Your Uncle Bob isn't standing with Auntie Aggie, waiting on you, looking over the battlements of heaven and making sure you're all right. There's no one in heaven as a mediator or a mediatrix not one but Christ just him alone for there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus so now I take note of our reading if you'll go to it 
Hebrews chapter 10, please. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Would you say the blood of Jesus? Come on, say it again. Come on, say it again. Aye, the blood of Jesus. I don't know why people are looking for or waiting for anything else, even just to say the blood of Jesus. It's like the hymn writer said, the spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. The word here, having therefore boldness, boldness. Notice, to enter into the holiest. Remember the high priest could only enter into the holiest once a year? Remember that? Once a year? Notice this, having therefore boldness. If someone else entered in, either God would slay them or the Pharisees would slay them. And we have a boldness. Not even we're slipping in, we're sneaking in. We have a boldness. And the word for boldness is the word pharisia. Pharisia. And this is what it means. It means the absence of fear in speaking. The absence of fear in speaking. No fear to speak boldly and with confidence before God. It's used for you can speak openly and frankly with God. Don't say irreverently now. The idea is as your child would come because you're its parent and have respect. This is the idea with us, with our Heavenly Father. Notice here, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, it tells us how we have the boldness. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So when I come before my heavenly Father, when you, believer, come before your heavenly Father, the boldness says you can speak openly, you can speak frankly, and there's no fear in you saying, Father, I have failed you. Father, I have sinned before you. Forgive me. And the Father will freely forgive you through the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus has paid your debt. Because remember, he's the high priest, he's his sin offering, who was sinless and harmless and holy. And his righteousness, in other words, his perfection rests on you because your sin was placed on him in Calvary. Now, if you think that Christ would reject you because 
you have done wrong. If I start with Lloyd away over in the far corner, come the whole way around here to Timmy over here, right the whole way through to the front, to this man here, there's not one of us hasn't failed and done wrong. Not one. There's some who like to think they haven't, but then that's their failure. There's not one of us here who haven't sinned before God and let him down every day. But when we come to the throne of grace, some of you go, Lord, would you forgive me? Will you accept me? Will you? Listen, he forgives you because his son paid your debt. He forgives you because Christ has paid it in full. Notice here, this word pharisee means you can speak without having fear. For example, in verse 35 of Hebrews 10, notice what it says. Cast not therefore away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense of reward. He said to these people who are thinking you're going back to the temple ritual and worship on the sacrifice of blood of animals and so on. He said, listen, Don't cast it away what Christ has done for you. Don't think little or less of what the blood of Jesus can do for you. He says that half a great recompense of reward when you follow on in Christ. But the word confidence is the same word for boldness in the chapter Pharisee. Be confident in Christ. Be confident in the blood. Be confident in his sacrifice. Be confident in his doing, his living, his dying, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Christian, be confident in it. Saved by grace alone and kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Brothers and sisters here, the the inspired Hebrew writer is saying, Don't go back. And listen, there are people maybe thinking of getting into the world. Temptation taking hold. Surprise you, many people wanted to become a Christian because they were afraid of COVID. I'm not joking in saying that. From the first time it was mentioned, fear started coming into them. And see now that well, down south and maybe here, England or wherever, they have the pubs opened up and all. Watch how many go back to the bar. Skirt skinny and stiff at the thought of dying. Christ, oh yes, Christ for me. Oh yes, I want to follow Christ. Oh yes, I want to belong to Christ. Oh yes, I want to get into Christ's heaven. Yes, that's for me. Skirt stiff of COVID should have a reverence and fear of God. Skirt stiff of it. See when the bars open up again. Oh, the temptation is just too much. I'm going back to the world. I wonder, did you ever know him at all? I'll tell you why. Because to know him, I mean to know him. I mean to know him of an assurance to know him with a certainty. To know Christ 
in your life and reality. To know him is to love him. To love him first, foremost, and above and before all others. Oh, hi. The thoughtful sinner thinks when he thinks his life might be at an ebbing end and bound for destruction. Oh, what am I going to do? I'll try Jesus. Relief comes and there's no more Jesus. We should have our confidence, those of us who know him. I want to ask you something. It's not a condemnation. I promise you it's not. I really do not mean it this way. I honestly, sincerely do not mean it this way. But I want to ask you a question for your own heart, for your own mind. Have you had an experience with him. Have you been consciously aware of him? What I mean is, it's not just a religious matter where our hearts sort of feel, yeah, well, well, it's a better life. It's not salvation. I'm talking about when you pray. And there are times our prayers are cold and there are times our prayers hit the roof and the ceiling and they don't seem to go any further. They bounce back at us. But I'm talking about when you pray and you enter into the holiest of holies as Christ has made it possible for us. Do you experience him? Are you aware of his holy presence? I mean, are you really consciously aware of where you stand? Oh, you may be standing in church or your living room or your workplace, or, but are you conscious that you are? You've entered into the Holy of Holies. Do you know what they used to do at the temple with the Holy of Holies? He used to tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest. And as he went into the Holy of Holies, they used to listen because he ministered in that small room with the blood. And they had to come up to the door, or the, the curtain, and they had to listen. Is he alive? Because God said he would smite them dead in his presence. If they didn't come his way, that's what happens to those who don't come by the way of Christ and his cross. And so they go up to the curtain, some of the priests, and is the high priest alive? And Yeah, he's alive. How do you know he's alive? They had a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate. The whole way around the skirts of his garments and they f- would flow as he would walk and they would make a, a tinkling sound. They could hear the bells and the pomegranates flowing, making the sound. Is he alive? Yeah, I hear 
the sound of the bell and the pomegranate. The high priests are still ministering before God. He's still alive. But if he died, they couldn't go into the holy place. They had to pull the rope and pull him out by the ankle. How do we know our great high priest is still alive? By the sound of the bells and the pomegranates. What is the bell and the pomegranates and the garments of Christ? Simple. The gifts of the Spirit. Given that Acts chapter 2. And the fruit of the Spirit in the Christian's life. That's how you know the great high priest is yet alive. And he's alive after the power of an endless life. Let me finish here this morning. And so in Hebrews 10 and 20, it says, let me just read 19 into 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. See the term new and living way. The word new is the word prosphatos. Prosphatos. And this is what it means. Pros means near. Pros means to come near to. Okay? And sfadzo as in fatos. It means, are you ready? To slay. To slaughter. To butcher. And to kill. To slay, to slaughter, to butcher, and to kill. And so the Hebrew writer, this inspired writer says that Christ has given us a new and living way that we can enter into the Holy of Holies, the blood of Christ. And it gives the idea of the slaughtering, the butchering, and the blood of these animals in the temple. But this new and living way gives the idea of the blood of Christ being sprinkled after it was shed. Haven't time to read it, but you can read when you go home. Leviticus 16, verses 14 and 15 tells you of that blood, that bull that was shed, and then the goats. But this is what it says at the end of verse 15. And bring his blood within the veil and do that, do with that blood as he did with the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat before the mercy seat. So the high priest went behind the veil with the blood and over here say where this pulpit is is the Ark of the Covenant and he put his fingers into it and he went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The blood Sprinkled it, walking on the blood. He's walking in, blood making a path. And hence then he sprinkles the mercy seat. And there's the mercy seat, there's the blood. Here's the sinner and the glory comes down. The only thing that saves the sinner from being consumed was the blood and the mercy. This is why I'm saying this. In Second Samuel, you can read it when you go home. David tries to bring the Ark of the Covenant which the Philistines had into Jerusalem to its rightful place. And we're told that Uzzah 
puts his hand to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant when it rocked and the Lord smote him because you can't mess about with the things of God. You cannot mess about with the things of God. So David thinks, what am I going to do to bring this Ark of the Covenant in? And then he realizes it must be on staves on the priest's shoulders. And as he brings it in to Jerusalem, he goes six paces. Do you have enough room? One, two, three, four, five, six. Slays an animal. Go this way again. One, two, three, four, five, six. Slay an animal here. One, two, three, four, five, six. Slay an animal again. And the whole way down the road. One, two, three, four, five, six. Slay it again. One, two, three, four, five, six. Another one again. One, two, three, four, five, six. Again and again and again. Over and over and over and over and over again. And the priests are walking through the blood. Gallons of it. Gallons and gallons and gallons of it. It's on their feet. It's on their sandals. It's up their skirts. It's on their legs. Everywhere's covered in blood. And they're walking through with the Ark of the Covenant on it. Blood everywhere. And then in the temple, sprinkle, 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 sprinkle. And the inspired Hebrew writer says, the Lord Jesus Christ with his own blood has made this road for us. When we come in to the presence of God, we come in with confidence that we're his. And guess what? We're covered in the blood. Covered in the blood. So the inspired Hebrew writer is telling us, listen, he says, there's no way you go to ritual, ceremony, other sacrifice, no matter what the sacrifice is. He says, Christ has paid it and done it once and for all. Look, I could say with Paul when I think of my life that I was the chiefest of sinners and I don't say that lightly or glibly. But I was the chiefest of sinners. But when I got saved, it went under the blood. By all rights, Christ had the right to reject me. And the Father had the right to slay me. But praise God, he sent his Holy Spirit to draw me. And he done the same with you. Well, Christian, today, will you have confidence in your God? Will you be bold for the Lord? I've failed them. Haven't we all? But he's not putting that to your account because he's washed it under the blood. Praise God. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he a beautiful saviour? He's wonderful. Tim, would you come up?